0: In the last weeks, we've had both today's first reading, we had that on Wednesday and uh, of this last week, and the Gospel reading, which we had uh, last week sometime. uh, uh, And uh, both of these readings are readings that I find myself reflecting on frequently, I have to admit, especially today's first reading, because uh, I find the context of it almost haunting, and, and I ask myself often, are we in that same state Uh, Before this uh, passage begins, it says that calls from the Lord uh, were infrequent, that they had grown unaccustomed to hearing the Lord, to responding to the Lord. They just kind of went through life as it was. And uh, the other context is that Samuel's mother was barren. She was in the temple praying uh, for a child, praying that the the burden of her barrenness would be lifted, the curse of her being childless would be taken away from her. And she's there praying, and as she's praying, her lips are moving, but no sound is heard. Eli, the priest, comes around and says, you're drunk, woman, go home. And she pours out her heart to him without telling him the full extent of what she's looking for, and he says, go home, the Lord has heard you. And she goes home, and she conceives and bears a son and names him Samuel, which means God has heard and in joy, she brings Samuel back to Eli sometime later after he's weaned, and says, "This is the child I was praying for all that time ago, and so I present him to the Lord now." And so Samuel was raised by Eli, basically, Eli basically in the temple, uh, raised to be a servant of him, even though he had uh, Eli had two sons, but Samuel was the servant and did it willfully and as we we pick up today he there he is sleeping in the temple you know honestly I, I find myself wondering why what was he doing sleeping in the presence of the ark of the covenant because not too long after this the ark of the covenant is deemed so holy so sacred that only the high priest could go in once a year offer a sacrifice and leave and it was so so uh, frightful that, according to tradition or legend, or whatever it is, they would tie a rope around him in case he died, that they could drag him out of the, out of the holy of holies without entering. And here Samuel is, in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, night after night we have to, have to assume. And he hears this voice calling. And it must have been just he and Eli. Eli, at this point, his eyes had grown dim, the scriptures tell us. He was going blind. He would probably needed more help than Samuel had been accustomed to give up to this point. But so he goes, you called me? And Eli, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And this happens three times. See, the irony of it is, not even Eli Knew what the voice of God sounded like. Not even Eli understood that, you know, wake me up once, that's bad enough. Twice, I'm going to start asking questions. Third time, it's, it's not going to take a third time for me to figure it out. I hope, you know, see, I am my pride. But Eli, it took three times of this happening before he himself understood. It's the Lord who's calling you. He understands. And so he tells the youth, go back to sleep. And when he calls, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And of course, our Lord calls a fourth time. The beauty of this lesson is it reminds us that God is persuasive and relentless. That if he's calling you, he's going to keep calling and keep calling and keep calling until you Listen, and if you don't listen, he's going to keep calling and keep calling and keep calling. And when you think he's done calling, he's going to call again and again and again and again. That's the beauty of it, that God's call is relentless and yet gentle. And that sometimes we need somebody like Eli, Eli sorry, to help us, somebody like Eli to help us understand that it's the Lord who is calling. Of course, once Samuel opens his ears, he starts to listen. And once he starts to listen, he hears more. And once he hears more, he starts to listen more. And not a word of his is without effect. Although I have to admit, this week on, on I think it was Thursday, we had uh, the people coming to Samuel saying, we need to have a king like all the other nations around us. And Samuel is told by God, give them what they want. And he lists the rights of the kings and some of them are quite horrible and horrifying. He's going to take your, your, your children. He's going to take your daughters and your sons. He's going to make your sons run before his chariots. He's going to take your daughters for incense makers and soap makers and all these things. And, and it's going to be, and yep, 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 it's not going to be quite that bad. Yeah, we need a king. So they really didn't listen to Samuel. And Samuel anoints kings Two kings: Saul and King David. He's a man who is well respected because he listens to the Lord. Because he knew that the Lord was not going to quiet his call in his life. And then we turn to this gospel passage. And again, we need context. This John that is spoken about is John the Baptist, of course. And if you you think about it, what he says is rather vague, isn't it? Behold the Lamb of God. Well, what's that mean? But Andrew and his companion understood that John was pointing towards the sacrificial offering that God had sent, the Lamb of God, the Messiah that whether they understood it fully or not, it was something about that phrase that they began to follow. And and as you read it, you get the sense they're almost creeping. I hate using that word, but almost creeping on our Lord. They're just following from a distance and and just kind of watching and and stuff. And, And he turns and says, what are you looking for? He uses the same phrase, by the way, at the end of the gospel, our Lord does in the garden as they're coming with torches and clubs and swords to arrest him. And he asks, what are you looking for? And they say, well, we're looking for Jesus in Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they fall to their knees. It's supposed to be both an act of fear and an act of worship, as irony would have it. But here, he asks them, what are you looking for? And the answer, we want to see where you're staying. Now, if we read that at the straight level, we might say, well, what's that have to do with anything? They want to see his bed? They want to see his room? They, why? But it reminds me of something, and some have heard the story, perhaps uh, Monsignor Greg Schaefer shares when he first went to Guatemala. He was uh, struggled to learn the language uh, and, and the customs because it's so intermixed. And uh, one of the first times he went solo, He was talking to a man whose wife had just died, and this man said, who's going to make my tortillas? And Father Greg didn't know how to respond because on the surface it seemed rather crass. Who's who's gonna feed you? That's what you're worried about? Your wife just died, who's gonna feed you? And he went to his mentor and his mentor said, what did you say in reply? I didn't know what to say, good. Because when when he said, who's going to make my tortillas, he's not asking who's feeding me, He's asking or saying, she was my life. She was everything to me. She provided for me. She was the love of my life who did so much. And here when they say, we want to stay, where are you staying? They're saying something as packed. We want to know you. We want to come to know how do you live? How how is this? Uh, We want to know you. And Jesus invites them. And they begin to follow. Why, well, Andrew, not so fast. He goes and finds his brother first and says, We found the Messiah. There's some beauty here, too, that we have two different types of call here as well. So we had Samuel, who God called directly and needed Eli to help discern that call. We have John the Baptist pointing and saying, There he is, the preacher who helps. And then we have Andrew, who by personal witness goes to Peter and says, We found the Messiah. Sometimes we deceive ourselves as Catholics. We think that calls belong only to the Pope or the bishops or the priests or the deacons or the religious brothers and sisters. We might extend that off to those that work in a special church ministry or or maybe a, a school teacher or whatever. But a vocation is bigger. And yes, unfortunately, sometimes we only hear about the calls of Peter and John and Andrew and Simon and uh, James and and, uh, Judas and all those. We hear the calls of Samuel or Saul or Paul. We hear the calls of these great people whose names are well-known and honored, honored throughout our church, and yet, A vocation is much more than just to those few individuals. All of us are called, each and every one of us. Some of us to lives of service as priests, deacons, religious. But all of us are called to some way. And our Lord is relentless in the same way. And sometimes it might seem that he is not calling because we've clouded our lives with so much clutter. I find it interesting when I think about Samuel especially, in the middle of that night, part of the reason he could hear that call is because it was silent. There were no trucks or trains or planes or automobiles to keep him awake. There's no radio, no iPods or TVs or video games. He lived his life in silence. In fact, the silence was so deep that they only had music when somebody was able to play it that the only sound usually was what was man-made or, or sounds of nature, that he could hear the Lord calling him. We live in a world that's filled with this noise. Maybe that's why few respond to the call, because we fill our lives with so, so much noise. I think our Lord is inviting us to lives of quiet at least a little bit throughout the day. Sometimes we fail to respond to that call because we don't have or don't listen to the calls of those like John the Baptist or positions of authority. I'll admit again, we've clouded that authority with the sexual abuse and the scandals of the church, which is the thing that hurts the most, I have to admit, as I look at the scandals that we've made the call, that that each one of us has something that seems sordid and dirty or impossible, because if priests can't live this life out, who can? But we need to look at the good preachers, the good ones who are proclaiming the truth. And perhaps, uh, we have a uh, lack of people like Andrew who've heard that call and can be personal witness to that call. I, I need to tell you that we have lots of Andrews in our church, in our parishes, lots of people who have responded to that call and who have a, such a credible witness. And we need to feel challenged by that witness, that we re- would respond and say, yes, but even more so, not all of us are called to be like Eli not all of us are called to be like John the Baptist, but all of us are called to be like Andrew, to be like Andrew who keep bringing people to Jesus, or to be like the Blessed Mother. The Blessed Mother cannot help herself but bring people to Jesus. So often we're accused of idolatry if we, if we talk about honoring the Blessed Mother, this hyperdulia that the Church has, that. Uh, an honor above honors. The Blessed Mother, though, is not worshipped. She's honored. And she tells us all nations, all peoples will call me blessed. And she's honored because as a mother, she keeps bringing people to her son. Yes, she has a unique role, a unique vocation, as one that will never be repeated. But she can help us discern our vocations too, to be like Eli, to help. As we gather this day, we know that the Lord is calling each and every one of us. Some of us might be too young yet to make a full response, but each and every one of us. And part of the reason I'm talking about this this day is I, I know traditionally, and until about maybe 10 years ago, this week after the baptism of the Lord was celebrated as National Vocations Awareness Week, As a side, as a vocation director, I was one of those that voted to move it to the week after All Saints Day. And we moved it primarily because sometimes it happens that this week is too cold or too snowy or whatever that schools would have to cancel. That never happens in Minnesota anymore, right? (laughs) But it's not just for one week, not just for one day we should talk about vocations. It is our life. Because our Lord is calling each and every one of us to a life of holiness. Even in today's second reading, St. Paul reminding us we were not made for immorality. We're made for something more. And that we were bought at a price. What a great price that is. That our Lord suffered and died on the cross. That he gave us grace. That he gave us this call, that we can respond. That no matter what we do in this life for, for the Lord, whether it's lives of service and, or uh, a simple life of husband and wife, whatever we do, it's all for the Lord because he has given us all to save us.